We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Team of 11 strangers wanders onto a pitch in Belgrade and wins a match against Red Star 1-0. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Um, it was exactly the game you'd expect. Absolutely, completely terrible, and then won by a moment of scintillating brilliance from, well, uh, Giroud on the finish, Jack Wilshere in the build-up, even Theo Walcott participated in it. Uh, Pretty much the only thing he and Giroud did in the game, but when the only thing you do is win the game, uh, I guess we have to reluctantly praise you. In any event, we actually have two people who are willing to discuss this match along with me. One of them is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! The other is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Okay, Paul, first question. <laughs> Prove to me that this happened. Is there, is there any evidence to suggest that this match happened? Do we, are we sure it happened? Like, I mean, for the, uh, for the first 80 minutes or so, I wasn't convinced it was actually happening. I, it might have been a fever dream. Um, I, I guess the, the real question is, do you have any problem with the side that Arsene Wenger picked? I mean, given, given that it's Everton away on Sunday? Uh, no. No, I don't. No. Are, no. are we going to talk like that the whole pot? Like, can you tell well, me well, this why? Well, I'm just thinking this seems like more an Elliot question. Elliot, do you have any problem with the lineup? No, that no, no, I, I don't. I mean, well, oh, so. Jesus Christ. No, I, I so look. Let, I, let me make. A my, my issue point. would be, since you asked me the question now, I'm going to talk for the rest of the pod. My, my issue would just be the question of whether persisting with a back three when it's pretty clear that our 
squad beyond the first 11 doesn't necessarily support a back three would be my criticism. You know, I'm not sure we're doing people like Maitland Niles and Reese Nelson any favors, chucking them in at fullback with center backs who, you know, I mean, who are also not familiar there and midfielders who are also not used to playing that. I don't know that I would choose that um, as far as player development, but no, I don't have a problem with the strength of the side. Well, here I'd make a couple of points on that. I, I haven't really thought through this lineup, but the last time I ranted about how we should, we really have the personnel not to play a, uh, a three-four-three, more like a four-three, four-two-three-one in a champion in a Europa League game. When we actually went through the players, we didn't actually have the players for either system because um, we're lacking them in the same place at right back and kind of. Kind of on the wing. Now, you could probably make a case that you could have massaged this into a better 4-2-3-1, but it's marginal. And given that, as it turned out, I was a bit surprised about this, but as it turned out, we dominated possession. It matters a lot less at the back because at the end of the day, you're you're really arranging the same players forward slightly differently uh, if you're going to have all the ball. So I don't think it mattered too much as it turned out. I was surprised how dominant we were in this game in terms of possession. Um, I mean, it's quite impressive that, uh, what are they called? Zavet, uh, Let's just call them Kravena. Red Star Belgrade, please. No, no, no. I've been practicing Kravena Zvedsta, which surprisingly means Red Star. Kravena meaning red and Zvezda meaning star. thought it would mean something different uh, in Serbia. Um, anyway... Uh, that crowd makes quite a lot of noise considering they're watching a really, really shit team for 90 minutes. Two. I would game. say two really shit teams. But yeah, okay. Hey, hey. Well, uh, at least we were... No, we were the great Arsenal. They don't... I, I, I'm I, not entirely sure they're convinced that this was totally our second 11. So I'll, they thought I'll tell you actually, what. I, I think... Yeah. Being in the Europa League is great for our ego because you've got all these uh, opposition managers saying we welcome this game because we want to be playing the best in the world and Arsenal are the best in the world. And it's like, you know, it's, it's and, nice and to, this is to the go the most to, important fixture of their year. Yeah, it's nice to go to the bar where all where all the uh, people of the whatever sex it is that in this analogy you want people hitting on you where they're all hitting on you and telling you you're beautiful. Yeah. Um, and we did have the great Jack Wilshire and Olivier Giroud, who has literally scored three of the best goals ever on the planet in recent times, and Peter Cech in goal, so that was kind of cool. Um, I'm not sure we learned too much new about Arsenal. Maybe we, weren't, we learned a little bit more about where Wilshire's at. We learned a bit about Debushi. You know, that's, that's kind of a positive coming out of this, that he might actually be of some use to at some stage to us. The weird uh, thing is, Debussy was never a bad player. I think the issue no. became that after Bellerin passed him up, he became a bad agent within the organization in the sense that he was bitter and didn't want to be a part of it and wanted out. And so he kind of yeah. he kind of moaned and stropped his way out of the manager's plans. But I, I don't think yeah, any of us was, felt he was a bad he player. He was overly French. That's what I would have criticized him for. In I am not going on record with that. We're going to move on from this. Uh, okay. So, so, Clive, I mean... To me, this is, first of all, this is proof that the the quality of this competition is not fantastic. I mean... Variable. (laughs) Variable. Yeah, fine. I mean, you put Debushi and Elneny and Maitland-Niles and Reese Nelson and Holding in a back five, and they get hardly a sniff at your goal. I mean, that kind of tells you what you're dealing with in terms of quality. 
But, I mean, isn't there an argument that if the manager feels he doesn't have to put out a top-quality side in these games, and I get that, isn't there an argument for saying, screw it, and going to the back four, or or even if you're playing you know, a, a back five, still finding a way to get like Reese Nelson into one of the two forward positions, or Maitland-Niles into midfield instead of Francis Coughlin. I realize Coughlin's back and he needs playing time. You know, f- fine, but... Is, is there an argument that if you don't feel you need to put out a strong side in this, in this match, in this competition, that you deploy your young players in positions where they can build, build their careers and, and show what they've got in their natural positions? So it depends, right? So let's think it through for a bit. If we're going to go for a back four... I'd prefer not to, to, but sure, we'll do it your way. <laughs> if you're going to go for a back four... We've obviously lost a centre-half with injury. We're playing three centre-halves in, in the first team. So we're going to have to pull one of those players out into the back four to have two centre-halves. We well, can't could, play on any... You You go holding in Elneny or holding in Debushi and then put, you know, Elneny... Can't, you can't, they can't. Elneny can play in a three. You, you, you can't take him from holding midfield and make him a centre-half in a two. That's, that exposes him too much. We have no other left-back. We have two left-backs, but they're both in our first-choice back five. So we're going to have to play them every sort of two or three days. Cochran so, could have played full-back, right? I mean, he's just back. And, and every time he plays full-back, he pulls a hamstring. So Wenger does not like to play him full-back because he's played him right back twice. See, that fits right into my plan, though. If he pulls a hamstring, he can't play again. So, I mean, the, everybody wins <laughs> in that scenario. Yeah, so it's not ideal. You know, obviously, in principle, I agree with everything you're saying. You're looking at it from the start point that you'd like to see the youngsters given a chance, and you care about their development. You care about them shining. You care about them being judged appropriately in their correct positions. But as long as the manager is on side with them, and as long as the manager is having a quiet word to Aidy Maitland Niles and say, "I know what you are. You're not a left wing back." You're doing a great job for the team. We need to get through these games. Hopefully, at some point in the year, you're going to get your chance in centre midfield or on the right side of a four or whatever, where he obviously could show more of his talents, right? So, so all, the only thing that matters is that the manager is aware of what he's getting. And I always look at the... If you look around the country right now, I look around the country at the peers of Nelson, Willock, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Ben Sheaf, Marcus McGuane... Let me tell you something. All those kids played under 18, under 23 through football are not playing in front of 55,000 people in a hostile atmosphere. They're not playing against adults. They're not playing that level of game, which is better than 20 under 23 games. And if you look at it from that perspective, I'm not worried too much about where they're playing, but the fact that they're playing and trusted. When I read things like, the top passer in the game, I'm not sure if he's correct, was Reese Nelson. Yeah. Yep. At, and at 91% of his passes too. So, I mean, not just playing a lot of passes, but, but accurately. So look behind that. Look behind that for a second. Look behind that number. The top passer in the team was the youngest player in the pitch. Right? So that tells you he is trusted. He's a trusted individual. The players are giving him the ball. At 17, the fact he's playing right wing back uh, and the fact he's running from deep and getting dispossessed and we know if he was running from the higher position where Theo Walker was playing he'd probably beat his man the fact we all know that don't let it take away from what's actually happening right in front of your eyes we're seeing five or six players getting huge development kick-ons that they wouldn't be getting playing at, playing at London Colney versus 
Reading under 23s. They just wouldn't be getting that. And so I think if we look at it from that perspective, the future, next year, when they will get into their correct positions, when they'll be a little bit older, and they're going to have that experience in their locker, we are much more likely to see a really effective performance when it really counts, when an injury is coming, when people are paying for real points. We're going to have a lot more confidence they can actually deliver from that perspective. So I think it's trying his best, and he's trying his best not to expose Ainsley Maitland-Niles in a left-back in a four, because we'd have to do. I played him higher up. He's not shining, but he's not getting killed neither. His confidence is not getting ruined. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult for Wenger. Right? He has no. He hasn't got a, a multitude of left backs. So, if you play Ainsley Maitland-Niles in a in a four, he could be exposed there. You play him higher up at a left wing back, he won't be so exposed. And, and he can still use his speed. He still uses recovery speed. And yes, he's not going to shine. But I think he's getting the best out of this group. I think he's getting the best out of them. He's exposing them to top-level football. And as I said earlier, he's, their peers around the country are sitting there watching them on Thursday night in front of 55,000 people, hostile crowd, hostile environment, going across Europe. And all their peers around the country are wishing, are wishing I was out there playing a game of football, first-team football, for real points when it counts in a European tournament. And yes, it's not ideal, but I said we we'll, we will see the benefit of this in in the next few, you know, year to eighteen months. We will see the benefit. And when they go back into their youth tournaments or when they go on loan, they'll have the they'll have the experience, the confidence and the personality to receive the ball under pressure with men bearing down on them. I think it's difficult it's difficult to sort of criticize the manager for what he's doing. It feels a little bit like um Louis Van Gaal's first year he was doing he wasn't doing so well in the league, but he was blooding lots of youngsters, finding out about them, finding out about the layer beneath the, the first team. And I think that's what's really sort of surprised me about the Europa League. Wenger is finding out about the players that are experienced players, and he's finding out about the youngsters, and he's finding out if they're going to be here. And when we obviously there are first-team players like Jack who's getting the benefit, but the younger ones for me, it's just completely revitalised how um, how I'm viewing the season so I'm loath to criticise even though formation wise in principle Elliot you're absolutely spot on yeah and, and look I mean I think the interesting thing if, if you look at the pass maps and you look how the pattern of play built in this game the ball just sort of rolled back and forth from you know holding to Maitland-Niles back to holding to Elneny back to Debushi to Reese Nelson Reese Nelson to Debushi back to Nelson and you look at where the lines are connecting the players and there wasn't a lot connecting to the midfield. There weren't a lot of players giving the ball to Willick and, and Coughlin, and so the ball just kind of made its way back and forth among the, the five defenders, um, and there wasn't a lot of connectivity. Now, it would be easy to criticize this as a feature of the squad being young and not experienced playing together and a midfield that you know is never going to have the ability to completely control a game between the young Joe Willick and, and a non-possession-oriented Francis Coughlin, but I think it's a feature of our play in general that we have lacked connectivity between the departments, between defense, midfield, and attack, and, and that was part of the problem in this game, and that's why we created very little, I think, and why, for all of our possession, we didn't trouble them a lot. But, you know, I, I am interested, Paul, in you know whether there was anyone that kind of stood out for you or impressed. I think someone we should talk about is Jack Wilshire. It's impossible to look at his game and not look at the goal. And we will get to the goal and and the real just uh, 
sublime brilliance that that led to the the buildup of it and and the execution of it. But prior to that moment, I'm not convinced Jack Wilshire was having the kind of game that I see people talking about online. And there is such a desire to see in Jack Wilshire a savior for the club, a future for the club, an English future for the club, obviously, which is important to a lot of people. But did you see a performance from Jack prior to that that suggests to you that he's knocking on the door or we maybe getting a little bit ahead of ourselves? Uh, I think, well, uh, I'm between those two opinions. Uh, we're, I think we are getting slightly ahead of ourselves, but I still think Jack can, can and should be an important player for us this season. I just, uh, you know, I still remember that at the full intensity of the Premier League, um, where he's doing the things he did yesterday, uh, streaking through the midfield, tw- uh, pressing into the box, a quick one-two, etc. The, uh, the the gaps and spaces he had uh, in the game yesterday, he's going to get half or a third of that space in a Premier League game. So uh, what he did yesterday, I thought he had a, an okay game in the first half. I thought he was starting to look really sharp in the second half, but definitely the goal inflated his and everybody else's performance by a factor of two or three by the time it was done. Um, so um, I, I think you got to be very measured. I think about regarding that game yesterday, not too much can be said, as the great Maharishi once said. Um, you can only draw so very light conclusions about it. I think, he, I think we learned a bit more about Wilshire. I think he's looking more ready. But I still think he's... He's going to have to play a couple of Premier... I I think he'll play a couple of Premier League games for us in the very near future, and we will be underwhelmed because it's just a couple of levels up. I mean, I, like I think all of us, are veterans of Jack's comebacks. Um, uh, I always go back to Wenger saying he needs seven or eight starts to really be the full Jack. So that's seven or eight Premier League starts at full intensity. So... I'm just holding back a little bit. Uh, I think he can really be big for us this season. Uh, but he'll get half the time, half the space. He'll still do those runs, the quick flicks going into the box. I thought he was very, very good in the second half. And there could have been two or three goals that ended up like that in terms of his build-up play. You won't always finish them. Um, I think it was really important to how we played. Uh, but I think we just got to hold back a bit. The answer's in the middle. Mm-hmm. I think he can be really big for us, but, but you know, I, I, I uh, uh, you've seen my profile pick. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm, yeah. more than, I'm more than happy to shovel coal in the steam engine up the front of the jack train, but uh, just hold back a little bit, lads. I mean, Clive, your thoughts on what you saw from him and where we go from here with him? Yeah, he's um, he's he's uh, we're looking for a hero, aren't we? That's what that's what he's all about. I'm holding out group. for a hero till the edge of the night. Yeah, we're looking. He's we're looking strong, for a hero. He's got to be fast. He's got to be larger than life. <laughs> it, I need a hero. Where you dance around, re- <laughs> kind of half naked, and, and then, then splash they myself with water. Yes. Of water. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, anyways, I just, I just, sorry, I just feed you to the lines, right? You just like do your thing. You set right? him up. So we knock him down. Go for it. We're look. We're looking for a hero, and 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 just put yourself. And also, we our two superstars 
we we're not sure about them. Every time we pick up the paper, it's a different headline. Every time we don't know what they're doing, and we're looking around for a hero. We're looking around for to see who's there, and Jack is on the way back without a doubt. And just like the system has impacted Theo Walcott negatively, uh, we're asking him to play in tight areas. He's not free on the right hand side. If he goes too wide, he blocks the wing back. So he's got to play inside, and that puts him into areas where he likes to run into, not start from. So we're losing him a little bit. But then this system is actually helping Jack because it's a tight, small space system in that role on the right-hand side in the Ozil position. And Jack can do that. When he plays in a in a two at the base of the midfield, we can question his athleticism. We question his ability to cover the ground. When you put him as that, the third midfielder, the link man, somebody who can travel in small spaces and create one-twos and create. This system is perfect for him. And he can see it, he can smell it, and he's on his way back. I think he can do 20 minutes in the Premiership right now. I know Paul's absolutely right about the levels of intensity. They do go up. He can do 20 minutes off the bench for, for an Ozil or a Wobie right now. No problem at the Premiership level. It's just a moment, a matter of timing, given we've got the Carabao Cup next Tuesday and uh, Everton on Sunday. So it's a matter of timing. But around the international break, when he comes back, he's going to be very, very close. You know, very, very close. But then we... We have, to, we have to temper our thoughts. It's only a few months ago in May, he went to Tottenham um, with Bournemouth and uh, Wanyama, Dyer, Kane absolutely kicked him all over the place. He was exposed in the two in midfield. He couldn't cover the ground. It was a terrible experience for him. He ended up with a broken leg. We have to be careful. We all want a hero, but patience is really required here because when he does come back, he's going to really be on number 10. He could be... You know, we're looking for Ozil and Sanchez replacements. He could be one of them, and he's already been here. Mm. And this system could really, could really ignite him. And we may not see the best of him till after Christmas, but you cannot deny his talent. You can't deny what he sees, what he feels on the pitch, his ability to execute, his bravery. On that goal, do you know the best bit about that goal for me was when he. He popped it out to Nelson, but then he shifted positions to say, "Give it back to me." And it's like, you know, I'm not done. I'm not just popping it and admiring and expect you to go out the other side and go around the horseshoe of, of boredom. Give it back to me. There's something here. There's something here. And then he's, he's done his little croif and he's gone through the gap. Three men disappear. Now we're now we've got people fixed to their heels. Somebody can carry the ball. We haven't seen that for a little while. When you have someone to carry the ball, you fix people. When you carry the ball with your head up and you're looking at people's eyes, Defenders don't move. They're frozen to the spot. He pops it off, and then um, we're, we're in business, right? Then he shifts position again. He doesn't just get run into Giroud. He shifts on an angle to create the triangle, to create the one-two, and then we're, we're in on goal. And that sort of stuff, I'm telling you, boys, that sort of stuff is natural. You can't coach that. Yeah. That is pure natural ability. And we scored from it, and Giroud's done something fantastic when we scored. So I am so pleased, because I thought he was done. The rumour in the game is at the top level, he was done. Um, I speak to a guy online called Gunnar Dave, 66, and we're good mates. And he was telling me, he was hearing things in training, that he is killing it in training. He's smashing it in training. And Keown said something recently, the same thing online. So there's things going on at the club with him. 
and it'll be interesting to see in the next few weeks if he gets a contract and my guess is if he stays healthy till Christmas Wenger will, will give him that contract and, and I'll be really pleased if he does get it I, th- I think it's interesting I mean because there was a lot of criticism of him for choosing to leave last season and that there would have been opportunities for him and he, and he chose to go somewhere else and I don't know that he did as well as he needed to do what I, I think is interesting is this system does seem to suit him I don't know if he has the legs anymore and the the durability anymore to be a central midfielder, but I think that I he agree. can do I agree with you. yeah one of those one of those two positions behind the striker and you know he has something that Ozil has that Awobi doesn't or Awobi doesn't yet. He has a natural understanding of the space players are moving into the space he needs to move into to create the lanes for players. I think where Jack is still falling down is I don't think his technique is all the way back yet. We saw it a lot in this game where he'd try to to start one of those sort of trademark dribbles, you know, the, those surging runs and the ball, he'd carry the ball a little too far from yeah. his body and get it taken off him. Or he'd try to make the touch in tight spaces and the touch wasn't as clean as it used to be. Jack used to have such a clean touch and close control and I don't think that's all the way back. But what you see in the goal is a guy who understands the spaces to pop up into, where players are around him. He just has that natural understanding when the ball comes to him in the box to get it back to Theo and he's really good at doing that, and Ozil, the difference between him and Ozil is obviously Ozil does it with a level of precision that Jack doesn't have back yet, but I don't think Iwobi has that. Iwobi has more physicality and running, and maybe his close control is a little better right now, but I still believe Jack has more end product, and, and certainly uh, from a creative standpoint, more end product. And so if you were creating a hierarchy for me right now of players I'd want to see in one of those two positions behind the striker, and it was Ozil, Jack, and Iwobi, I'd put him in that order for me right now. Um, I think all of this, uh, Jack cares more than Ozil playing more than those. I, I mean, Mesut Ozil is still several levels above Jack in terms of quality at this point. But yeah, I think those positions suit him. And are in and around the box, he has a level of creativity that I, I don't know that we have aside from Ozil and Alexis. So it would be good to see him uh, get opportunities there. The challenge is if he's playing... Uh, Europa League games, he's not starting at the weekend in the Premier League. So he's going to have to find a way to get 15, 20 minutes, as you said, in the Premier League, prove in those 15, 20 minutes that he's a difference maker, and then kind of rotate out of the Europa League role into a Premier League role and potentially giving way to a Wobie then becoming the Europa or the Carabao Cup guy. Um, Paul, let's let's talk about Francis Coughlin, the legend that is Francis Coughlin. I mean, I think we can all agree he is a crap footballer, but the the... Absolute brilliance to get the Red Star player sent off. I mean, we wanted a Sergio Busquets at the club. Is this a sign that maybe we finally have one? Uh, oh, I won't take the bait on that yet. <laughs> Two quick points on Wiltshire. Um, one of the things that really encouraged me lately, even though we haven't seen much of him, is he doesn't, as you said, when he l- kind of does that loose touch where he'd normally chase it, he seems to be protecting himself a little bit. I think that's a big deal, firstly, in terms of keeping himself fit. And secondly, it's a good discipline that he starts thinking to himself, maybe I just need a better touch rather than uh, historically he's saved his touch and turned it into an asset by kind of almost losing the ball and then jink and pass a guy, but that exposes his ankle. So I think that's a big deal. I think the second thing is coming on at 20 minutes, we'll see a little bit of the zero effect with 20 minutes to go. He'll be running at tired legs and it'll bring out the best in Jack and kind of bring him along. So I think he can be a very important player off the bench. Now on Coquilla, um, so I thought he had a very good game. No, he didn't. But okay, uh, keep going. Yeah. Um, I thought he was pretty influential. Nope. Uh, keep going. Uh, in terms of, well, 
Squawker would say. Yeah. No, so anyway, I thought he was pretty good. Um, you know, what are you going to do? The poor guy's just back. <laughs> I want to know what you thought of the brilliant play acting to get the Red Star player sent off. Uh, well, if it was that wasn't play acting, acting. that oh, it was, was awesome. Oh, come on, he he covers it. Look, I get it. He caught he caught an elbow to the eye. You could see the the boil under his eye, but it wasn't an elbow. But he he looks up to where the ref is and exposes that's, that's it. That's isn't it? Oh, it's that's so Cochran. great. He, he exposes it to the ref right at the moment for the ref to see it, and then the ref sees it, produces the red card. It was brilliant. That's the kind of shithousery we need at the club. Yeah, I'm a, if it was shithousery, I'm all over it. Because after all, it's not like he faked the, the tackle or the yellow card. So It's not a red it. card. I mean, it's not a red card. It's never a red card. No, we, but it was two yellows that. anyway. No, no, no. It was two yellows. No, it was a red. It was two yellows. It was two yellows makes a red. Was Trust it? Me. I thought it was a straight red. Yeah. No, it might have been a straight red, red, but it was actually his second yellow anyway. What is that? Two a, yellows yeah, makes a red. All right, so, but, but it was given as a straight red. Might have been. Don't know. No, it was two yellows, and then he got the red. Okay, so it was a straight red, and it's because of his play acting. I think we've settled that. In any event, um, they go down to 10 men, and I don't know if you noticed on my Twitter feed, I then tweeted, Olivier Giroud, who has been horrible in this game, will now score the winner, cementing his legend status. And he sure as shit did that. Um, Paul, is there... To be fair, it, it was clear that the whole objective of the Wilshire... Giroud game plan was to try and recreate the Norwich goal. On the anniversary of the Norwich goal, by the way, four years to the day. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, in the the match report, they actually tried to have Theo written out of the buildup. They claimed it was Jack who played all of those touches. No, Theo's header was a a good one, I thought. Yeah. I mean, really, you're talking about two players in Giroud and Theo who probably made their only contribution the whole game in that moment. But, I mean... This is the question then. So Giroud scores this this wonder goal, and it really is a beautiful team goal between those three players and an, just an exceptional improvised finish from Giroud, um, who seems to have a flair for finishing the tough chances. Um, a Gallic flair. A Gallic flair, you might say. Um, but again, do we wind up... Is it? Am I being overly picky with Giroud yes. when I suggest that his performances have been poor and that the goals don't change the extent to which he has been poor in open play? Or is this one of those typical, hey, you know, if your striker gets goals, he's done his job and he, you know, no further analysis is required? Sadly, I kind of agree with you that actually uh, this year to my eye, he looks like he's slowing us down even more. I mean, yeah, we seem season, very turgid with him. I, I fully admit I may have been harsh on him at times in the past. He's never been my favorite, Woo-hoo! but I think this season All right. in All particular. Right, I was lying. I didn't really mean what I said. I was just oh, trying to get that out of that. you. No, no but, but this season in particular, yeah. I mean, he he seems to be struggling even with some things he always used to excel at, like his hold-up play, receiving the ball, you know, the long balls from the keeper and stuff. It's getting away from him more. I, I mean, is, is yeah. Olivier Giroud the sort of quintessential difficult player to analyze because he does come up with these goals and yet he seems to be holding the team back for you know for 80 85 minutes of a game sure and what goals though that's the other problem he's got the best youtube compilation on the internet i mean it's incredible yeah i think it was matt spiro said if he ever shows this to his grandkids his uh his highlights they'll think he's better than pele yeah and that's because he is yep um i mean he's just the goals are just sensational um but 
uh, yeah, I mean, th- this year, to my eye, uh, maybe the whole his French p- place been under threat, maybe the fact that, you know, it, it becoming baked in that he's the number two striker, not the number one striker. I wonder if it's beginning to have a little bit of a psychological toll on him. It's got to be very, very tough, to be fair to the guy. Um, and now he's all about the goals. But he does, and maybe our play has moved on a little bit. Now we're we're getting more and more used to the idea of having a mobile, dynamic striker. Um, and the two are kind of passing like ships in the night. And I find him to be slower to my eye we're more turgid um well, if i don't you're a slow think his player and you lose even half a step it goes from being kind of problematic to se- severely problematic right yeah and i agree with you his his hold up play lately which should be a strength i don't think has been great i'm only judging the last couple of outings he's had for us but you know i thought he was pretty poor in terms of connecting the dots uh, yesterday um so yeah I, I, I it's an issue for us uh he he's likely to be a super sub um and that's going to be tough on him yeah i mean i've always believed he's the right sub when we're chasing a game against a team that will sit more compact because long yeah. balls direct balls into the box i mean that's where he can really excel for you um yeah when you he have didn't a work out in Against Watford. Well, against Watford didn't make any sense because they had to come out at us, right? And I think that's yeah. the biggest problem you have with Olivier Giroud, especially as he starts to lose further steps when he didn't really have any steps to begin with, is when he's on the pitch, the defense in the midfield of the opposition, if they so choose, can play 10 yards further up the pitch, right? Um, yeah. And in a situation where they're chasing the game, you invite that pressure. I mean, Clive, overall, I mean, is your verdict on Giroud for the day poor game that will be completely forgotten because that goal will be played as a highlight reel for years to come? Yeah, something like that. And you're absolutely right. He's, um, what we judge him on is how he holds the ball up and how he lays it off. If he lays it off accurately, and we can go from there. So that's the first thing we judge him on. That's when he's on the halfway line. When he's in the box, he's he's excellent. So um, he's a penalty box player. When he's in both boxes is actually very very good but it's, it's those middle parts of the pitch where I think he's lost a little bit of accuracy and um, and they were, those are the simple things for him normally he's very good at holding the ball up and he's very good at, at one touch layoffs and then if you look at all his goals all his goals are quite instinctive they're normally one two touch max but it's all one touch it's the first thing that happens he creates things as the ball's arriving and he makes really quick decisions how to move his body into position to get it onto his left foot and his left foot's very powerful, very strong. And um, and so he knows what he's got and he absolutely maximizes every ounce of his talent to get to the level that he's got. And I really admire him. I don't want him to play every game, but I really admire him as a professional footballer that his mentality and the fact that he can barely run, but he works really hard. When he looted the ball, he works back. He defends near post brilliantly. He's good in the air in the opposition. When we're when we've got teams pinned back, you know, he, he's as good as anybody, right? So, but sometimes some of the basics around the edge of the area, in the middle of the pitch, in the middle third, when you just need to do a simple layoff, he doesn't get it quite right, and and that's probably stopped him from being that, and probably two yards of speed 
stops him from being that Real Madrid, you know, because he whatever whatever else he does, he does very very well. But he's just restricted in some of his movement and some of his accuracy. You, you yeah, said and, something about him too that really stuck with me. Say so he's a player who plays the way he's facing, and I I think that's been a big yeah. limitation for him. The the unwillingness to trust himself to turn and face means as a exactly. defender you kind of always know where the ball is going when it comes to him. You don't have to worry about you the space behind you. You've got to know how to deploy him. It wasn't his fault he was brought on against Watford. It really wasn't his fault. He came on into a game that required something else. And and it, and he came on to a game and it just it just encouraged them on. But if you I sort of when you started talking about Lacazette then, you know, Lacazette is he's very I know they're different athletes and they're different different players, but the way Lacazette plays, he's very similar. He's a wall. He's a wall as well. He knows how to get it. What he can do is he can shift off the spot and then spin around and then and then drive the play. And while he's driving that play, he's not getting caught. But he's also an intelligent setter of the play. You know, you can set him and then you can go through. You know, and so he's a he's a rounded player. I've seen him play number ten, Lacazette as well. He's not just a nine. We haven't found his sprinting speed in behind. We haven't really seen that. So we're not really getting the best out of him. So but what he does do is he just offers a little bit more intelligence and range of movement than Giroud. If Giroud spins into the channel, the centre half is thinking, Go on then, play it. I can see it's coming, I'm gonna win the race. When Lacazette spins into the channel, he can he attracts people because he knows he might get there and the other people can then spin off that space and what Lacazette does very well he doesn't hold on to it, he gets it and he's already got the next pass in his head so I mean it makes us more fluid whereas Giroud can slow us down if he can't find that first pass so there's an interesting dynamic between the two of them they're not far apart, it's interesting that France play one or the other because their games are not that far apart, different bodies but what they do with France is they make sure they have a Griezmann the jack-in-the-box, the player who's got a bit of devil that can create, that can sprint, that can shoot, that can good in wide areas. And I often feel if to get the best out of both of these players, they really do need a partner. And I, I'm not, we're not, I really think we need to think about how we're getting using Lacazette going forward. I don't think, I don't want to waste two years finding out what he's good at and how best to support him. Like we've done, wasted the time for Ozil and up to a point, particularly Andrew. Well, I for think the last, we could have got more out of them. For the last 10 minutes that we have Ozil, we should be playing him with Lacazette or, or Jack. I, you know, I don't think a Wobie has the, the, the quality to unlock the game for Lacazette in the way that Jack I don't, Ozil I, I don't think, I think a Wobie's got the quality, Elliot. I just don't think we can demand that consistency yet. Right, so and you know what? I've got a bit of a, a strange view of this game. I, I I came in for the last twenty minutes of this game, and I came in and caught all the best bits. So this game was really good, but my house was telling me it's been a terrible game. So I came and caught all the best bits, and I and I rewatched it afterwards. But you can't, you can never connect to it afterwards emotionally in the same way. Just nothing you happened. Know the it result. was a lot of nothing. There was a lot of the ball moving back and forth between our defenders while Red Star sat and. You know, a lot of yeah. sloppy play and not a lot of quality and not a lot of chances. I mean, it was it was a game where they, you know, it's funny. A lot of our and, Europa and League Red games. Red Star are, did have a lot of chances. I mean, it, yeah, the goalkeeper played said, well, didn't he? He did the XG yeah. in this game, by the way. Was I think it was like one to point six, um, and and of the one, I think like point four of our one came from Theo's chance uh, off the rebound where um, oh, yeah. the keeper got his foot down to it. So. 
or was it a pass or a rebound? It was Theo had a chance from about six yards out that the keeper stopped pretty nicely. But I mean, that accounted for forty percent of our of our xG. Um, so you know, I, I mean, again, not a lot. At least according to xG, not a lot of chances created. I look. I think. Giroud is a tough player because, in a way, he is the ultimate player for the Twitter era in the sense that he's never been quite good enough to attract the next level of club, and he's been good enough to stay. So he's a player that gets credit for staying, but where there was never really anything that was going to happen. He was never going to drop down a level, but he was never good enough to move up a level. His highlights are so vineable and streamable and YouTubeable that if you're not someone who watches the games but watches the goals... You could see him as being this real star player. He's very likable. He's very attractive. He's very photogenic. So, I mean, he he's a player that is easy to like, and yet I think when you watch every single minute of every single game, and I think when you look at what he has been in, in the totality of play holistically, you know, I've always believed he's just not quite the level Arsenal needs, especially for Wenger Ball, for the way we to want to play. I would have to diverge with you on that, Elliot, in that the only people who really talk about Giroud are Arsenal supporters, and we all watch the games. So I don't think he's a well, I think a there Twitter are a lot of people era. on Twitter, Paul, who love Giroud, who don't watch the games. I, I mean, I get that sense that, you know, there are a lot of people popping up in my timeline when he scored that goal yesterday because I had that tweet about he's been awful and now he'll pop up and score the winner. You know, who were saying, ah, I just saw a video of the goal. Wow. You know, I mean, there are people that follow along on the internet who don't get a chance to watch the game and are influenced by the highlights. Well, I'll just say one but, thing. But that doesn't build a, a, a profile or a persona well, of give, a Well, give me a break. A you you mean to tell I mean, me my, that players, you, players' you, personas these days aren't sometimes shaped by the the seven-second highlights that we see circulating on social media. I mean, the fact that he kisses yeah, the badge and yeah. that he's never threatened to leave and that he scores some picturesque goals. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that watches every game that would say Olivier Giroud is definitively the star striker that we've needed at Arsenal. I, you know, I just don't know how you can uh, okay, come up with that Okay, but I see Arsenal people having that conversation back and forth, all of whom are watching the games. So, uh, I don't... Yeah. Do, is there anyone sorry, you mate. consider knowledgeable say, about I was Arsenal? Say, Giroud, Giroud isn't the problem, right? He's only a, a twelve million pound player has given us five years good service, right? so he isn't the problem. The fact we over relied on him in the early phases of his yes, career, of course, and we played him for fifty games a season where he was hardly ever injured and was absolutely exhausted, and we never gave him the support he required. That's not his fault. The fact the manager doesn't always know how to deploy him or when to deploy him, that's not always his fault he's taken too long to give him the support he's required and the balances he's needed he was flogged in the mid period of his Arsenal career and and now we've got forward competition which allows him to rotate a bit I do feel the substitution was wrong at the weekend for what we all discussed in the last pod but I, he doesn't worry me a 12 million pound player doesn't worry me he is what he is if we sold him now we'd sell him for 35 million to Everton Clive it worries you him. if the 12 million pound player is the first choice and you don't go out and find someone of, of the new and, and that's what, that's and what, that's what it was for the last three years before until Lacazette come along and we found the Alexis centre forward thing but there was a period there for two years where he was that player and we did not support him but that was that was the manager's fault that's not that's not his fault you know I don't worry about players like him who are who are club people that work hard that fight hard yes we criticise him when he plays bad but that's our that's our right as fans that doesn't worry me I'm far more worried about 
our 35 million pound players and our and our 42 million pound players that don't do the business that we have invested many many millions on that demand higher wages i am far more harder on those players the darlings of everybody because they are not doing it and they're meant to carry us forward and we are in a place right now <laughs> where we haven't been for the 21 years of Wenger's reign so I'm not that's not Olivier Giroud's fault yes we'd all like something different and like something better and if people wanted Benzema Bamiyang and Cavani and we all want these players Higuain. but that's not that's not that's not Giroud's fault it's the manager's fault but he's hesitated I, and not upgraded when he should have upgraded. of course of course and, and and that's that's where my uh, that's where my thought process goes. And nor should we though, take but... away from him the fact that he scored superb goals. He scored a a bunch of them at critical times in critical games. He's been great off the bench. You sure. know, it's not it, it it's not to me it's not a. There's a lot of Twitter shit, but if you ignore all of that, you'd still have the same argument. Your, your fundamental point is fair, Elliot. Uh, in particular, in terms of how it impacts our game and how it's, it slows a team like Arsenal. Down. You know, the two unfathomables for me with Arson, uh, given the kind of football he wants to play, is why he's struggled to put together a a, a uh, functional an appropriate <laughs> a, an appropriate midfield for the kind of football Arsenal is supposed to yep. play for yeah, years now pool. and why we've great had pool. the striker we've had as our primary and only striker for years mm-hmm. and, Look, and as Clive says that's not Giroud's fault and I think you'd no, agree with that of you course know, I he's, do he's I, a great plan B I want to I want to yeah. say a few things first of all I, I I think it is absurd I have never ever ever understood the it's not his fault point no one is blaming the play. I mean, blame players when they do something really terrible, right? I have never once said it is Giroud's fault. And I think the point His of character fault, has been impeccable. Yeah, sure, it? of course. Look, look, <laughs> the debate is or should be around players. Do they provide the necessary quality? If not, should we have tried to or should we have actually upgraded that quality? We should be debating the player's ability to give us what we need on the pitch. None of these players are their fault. It's not, it's not anyone's fault that anyone is good or bad or, or indifferent. I think there are a few things. First of all, look at the Premier League winners for the last two decades. All right, Who were the strikers at, at the clubs that won the Premier League? They were Ruud van Nistelrooy, Thierry Henry, Didier Drogba, Kun uh, Aguero, you go to uh, Diego Costa, who love him or hate him, was you know right up there for hate him. Hate well, him. fine, but I mean he he was Golden Boot winner. Jamie Vardy, Golden Boot winner. Um, you know the teams that have challenged for the title: Suarez, Harry Kane. You look at the strikers at clubs that have either won titles or been right there challenging for it, and it's it's. They have the best striker in the league, or you know, Robin Robin Van Persie won the league at United. The the team that wins the league quite often has the best or second best striker, or a striker that's in the conversation for best striker in the league. Um, we have not had the striker who's in the conversation for the best striker in the league since Robin Van Persie, and I think that is a big part of why we haven't competed. Um, I'm not saying that's yeah. the only reason, but and again, not Giroud's fault. Good player, solid player, quality player to have in your squad. I think the fact that we didn't go out and get great plan B. I sure, mean, of course, we've said I that in look, the past, and and maybe I that's, think we're all maybe that's the agree. bottom line. With you. <laughs> yeah, we all violently agree. Brilliant plan B. Look, look at Arsenal's career. We all career. violently agree. Look at Arsenal's career at Arsenal. Ian Wright, Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, Adebayor in a thirty-goal season, Robin Van Persie, 
and then Olivier Giroud. And the Olivier Giroud period has not just coincided with not winning the league, because look, Robin Van Persie didn't win the league for us either. But it has coincided with a period that I think we would all agree the football has also deteriorated in quality. Now, it's tough to, to separate that also from the deterioration of midfield quality. Cesc Fabregas leaving in that period following that, the midfield hasn't been as good either. I think we should move on, but I... I think there's a clear point here. No, I think, you, I think you touch on some really good points there, right? And with all of what you said there, we're, going, we're dipping a toe back into a little bit of recent history. But I think the manager has a tendency to overburden certain individuals in our yes, team. Yes, absolutely. And, and he did it with Seth Fabregas. He did it with Van Persie. He's done it with Giroud. He's done it in the past with Vieira, sticking Jules Grimondi next to him and saying, please manage to hold midfield. Thank you very much. He, he, he absolutely overburdens certain people. And I I think it's I think it's wrong I, I up to, and what's happening to us at the moment and this is something that's really concerning me is that players talk in the game players are not you know I, I mentor a, a young athlete a, a lady athlete is a 400 meter ex-junior world champion and what I've learned from mentoring her is basically the window of excellence is really really small for all of the training that you do for all of the time you build up to be this athlete to get to your top level performance the window of top level is really really small and what players are saying right now is i'm not sure i trust my career with Arsene Wenger because he's not supporting my career he's not giving players the balance the the facilities the technical coaching the preparation he's not supporting my career with the purchases and this is an issue and we and people like Giroud have suffered you know in the past Ozil probably will leave because he will feel he has not had the players around him whether you like him or not whether you believe that or not but there's a trend here with overburdening certain players and some players can make it work Koscielny's been overburdened for five years. He's just on his last legs and we're still spinning him out there. We overburdened Cazorla for a period of time until he broke. We do this and players are not prepared to have it no more. They are not going to come to our club unless their careers are going to be protected, unless they're a younger player that's going to come for more wages or a player on the downslide has been kicked out of somewhere like Real Madrid or Barcelona and they want to stay into a Champions League. Well, we're not there anymore. So I'm wondering how we're selling ourselves at the moment. I'm wondering how we're going to attract players. What are we, what are we giving to them? We're not supporting them enough. And I think it's a real issue for us in the future. Hence why my thing about getting back to the top four, I'm not the only one that says that. It's really, really important because the club's position is it will allow us to be more attractive because the people around the club are certainly not doing that job. Yeah, and look, I mean, we've seen this with Arsene Wenger. The one thing that I think you have to do, if you have players who aren't messy, you know, who aren't the best player of all time, but they have... A, one quality where they're elite in, then you have to play to bring out that quality, right? So, for example, <clears throat> um, Jamie Vardy. I don't think any of us think he's one of the elite strikers in the world. He is an elite counterattacking striker. And Lester won the title in large part on the strength of his counterattacking goals. I mean, that, that was a big part of how they won the title. I mean, Olivier Giroud is an elite in-the-box target man striker. We've never played to suit that. Look at Andre Arshavin. Andre Arshavin had a small window where he was probably an elite number 10. We played him as a wide forward. We played Nick Bentner on the wing. We have tried to mold players to what we feel we need or how we feel we want to play without always playing. You're, 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 you're getting <laughs> to some really deep, deep stuff now, right? So this is brilliant. So let me tell you something. You're, so how do we play right now? You tell me. 
Describe it to me. I mean, you can't tell me. Cause I, I, I don't know what our style is me. other than rotating the ball between the defenders and then trying to get it to so the fullbacks our, to push it up the pitch. <laughs> exactly. Our style is dependent on the players on the pitch, right? So if we have Giroud, we do try to develop another style. If you have Ozil and Sanchez, we get, we become dependent upon them to build our play and we work from there. So we're not buying to a style, right? So if we're a possession team, this team badly lacks dribbling wingers who can beat the man so if you're a possession team that plays through midfield that keeps the ball where's your fear factor there's no fear factor unless you have dribblers in your team in wide areas that can beat people or you have people that can drive space with real speed right so so if you're a possession team where's your magic in the top area right so if you're a counter-attacking team where's your speed on the transition right we're in this middle period at the moment where we don't know what we are when we're buying we're not buying to a plan we're not buying to a system. We're not buying to an outcome, right? So, in some ways, the positive of that is how do you how do you scout for Arsenal? The negative of that is none of us know what we're going to see. It's all dependent on individual performance on the day. We went to Chelsea. Ramsey played brilliant. Iwobi played brilliant. We walked away with a nil nil. You know how many times it's all down to the individuals to shine on the day, which makes us that Goldilocks team. Sunday Everton, we can almost name the team. We're not sure who's going to shine. We're not sure where the match is coming. We're not sure how we're going to play. It depends who plays well. And that dictates our style. So we have no structure, have no system, have no identity. The identity is wrapped in the superstar players that we have. And they are about to go. Hence my statement, we are searching for a hero. And that Mm. hero will give us our identity again. And Jack is the perfect poster child for that. He's one of our own, been there since he was eight years of age. He's a hero that we need. I hope we don't rush him just to satisfy our own fan feeling. I hope we don't rush him. And I I long for the day (laughs) we can see a coach that absolutely Mm -hmm. understands what he's buying for, what he's playing for, and where he's going. Because right now, we don't know where we're going on the playing side of things. There was a time when... City wasn't a big club, and Chelsea wasn't a big club, and it was really just Arsenal and United at the top of the league with Liverpool a little bit behind us, and Spurs were off in the distance, and Arsenal could build a team where we had 11 of the best 11 players in the Premier League, and they could get on the pitch and work it out. Um, the, there's a lot more parity now. The money has changed. We're never going to have the 11 best players on the pitch, and so your system has to, has to uh, complement the players you have in the way that Liverpool do that with their pressing or Spurs do that with their counter-pressing. Um, you look at Granit yeah. Xhaka. Granit Xhaka is a classic example of a guy who you can see there's talent in there, but the way we're using him right now is making him look worse, not better. And our system, unfortunately, the way we play has started to make good players look worse instead of flawed players looking better. We're seeing the flaws in our player, uh, our players because the system isn't necessarily putting them in place to, to, to excel. And, I mean, just look at Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott is not a terrible football player. He's not. He is never one of those two forwards behind the striker in a three-four-three or a three, you know, a, a three-four-two-one. He's not one of those two behind a striker, and he is pretty much worthless in that position. And I, I realize he had an assist for a spectacular Giroud finish, but otherwise, poor game from uh, Paul. Let's finish up and, and actually get you back in the conversation for a second here with just a look ahead to the weekend. The last time Ronald Koeman was in a, a huge rut uh, in the league in terms of his team's form, uh, I think they lost like you know nine out of ten games. But the the one they didn't lose was a four nil victory over Arsenal. Um, 
<laughs> so we're going to try not to have that happen at Everton. They've looked really, really bad. They're coming off a loss to Leon in uh, in the Europa League. Is this going to finally be the time when Alexis and Ozil and, and Lacazette play together? Do you think he'll still try to, to avoid doing that? What do you expect in terms of the setup and the performance? Uh, well, it would be really something if they don't play this game. I guess the only thing is that the only vague excuse to have is that Ozil's match fitness. I mean, he still hasn't played a 90 before this, but you would expect to see the three of them in this game. I do uh, disagree, and I think it's relevant given the, the front three we're talking about playing here, that Arsenal don't have a style. I think we've failed to hit the mark often. I think our recruitment has given um, that style has kind of held its its arm one one arm behind its back yeah um in terms of executing that style but the style is clearly to play on the front foot to push forward to move the ball quickly to have fast technical skilled players in the box Sorry, Paul, I should have said maximize our style. Sorry, mate, because yeah. I think you're absolutely right. We're a possession team, but we yeah. don't maximize our style by really supporting that style appropriately. Like Man City have done, forget the money, but they their style is very similar to ours, but they've supported it with more of the dynamic players they need to really make their style more effective. If, if the style That's is right. what you just described, though, Paul, I don't know how you play that style with only two in midfield, especially when one of the two is always going to be a little bit limited in possession well i I think it is a pragmatic approach at the moment playing two in midfield but that's why arson has always been a four two three one man and there's absolutely nothing wrong with four two three one i mean uh real madrid are doing some variation of that four three three or four two three one it doesn't really matter and and they're the best team in the world arguably at the moment so there's nothing wrong with that approach and a lot right with it. And it's really the right approach for Arson as a long-term standpoint. But right now we know why we're playing 3-4-3. So uh, this weekend, uh, if we can keep hold of the ball, it doesn't matter too much which approach we take. The problem is if they really get at us in midfield, we're not particularly good at handling pressure. Um, And so... Uh, that's really what it's about. You know, Red Star didn't come back, come at our midfield. Uh, Watford in the second half did press our midfield and did raise the tempo. And so it's a question of how up for it we are in this game. If we have our heads right, if we're we're foot forward, uh, if we come with the energy uh, and we can hold the midfield and keep the pressure on them we're in good shape if we step back a little bit if we're hesitant if we have the handbrake on we're in trouble so yeah the one good news is they're not a particularly rapid side there's not a ton of pace there and that young what's that young forward that they have that scored like all their goals he double barreled last time he played against leon so he may not be up for a start at the weekend which means it's maybe a return for rooney and while Rooney has hurt us a lot and he has the technical quality to continue to do so, the fact that they don't look super pacey, I think, is at least an advantage. Um, we certainly won't miss facing Lukaku. Clive, any quick expectation for the team and the performance at the weekend? Yeah, Paul summed it up good. Right? We, Everton are not confident, so let's not get them confident. 
let's go out there and, and smash them early. Right, let's take, let's get the crowd against them. They are one. The manager potentially could be one game away from losing his job. There's a real groundswell of opinion against him on Merseyside, so we need to take advantage of that. Right? But there's a bit of us. We all feel it as Arsenal fans. We all we are the team that that starts off people's seasons, right? And we are that perfect team to play. So I hope we we take charge of this game and play with some bravery. And if we do, we are better than them right now. Uh, and that's as simple as that. Um, it's great chat with you guys. I, I, the formation stuff was really, really good, and I've got a bit more, but I know we got we got to wrap up. Um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I'm, I'm catching a to plane it. to get out of the country before anyone can catch up with me for my Giroud opinion. <laughs> so you know, I don't I don't have time to sit around here and pick the bones out of uh, Red Star Belgrade uh, performance. But look, I, I think it'll be interesting. The, the one thing I will say about the Watford game is that you know they they didn't really hurt us until until they got that penalty and then our more than anything it just looked like our confidence in our legs went the the first team has had a chance to rest for a week now this these are the moments you kind of like to watch arsenal which is back to the wall disappointing performance kind of let yourself down and you've had a week to think about it do you come out and fight and you're angry and you're clawing and you're scratching for the points because you have something to prove or do you come out with hesitancy and fear in your eyes and and a passive approach and and get pushed back and you know, kind of, kind of sink into a slump. Last year, we saw a long, prolonged slump of form and a lack of confidence from you know January through February until we switched to the back three. But Arsene Wenger teams traditionally, at least before last season, had a history of responding to to adversity, to coming back from these disappointments. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, if it's okay with you guys, I've got to let it go so I don't miss my flight. Um, We'll be back after the Everton game and hopefully be talking about a win and, and maybe even talking about seeing our, our exciting trio of Alexis Ozil and Lacazette play together before Ozil fucks off to United, which we can discuss at another time, but I don't have the time or the energy to get into it. So Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim, who didn't go to the game, said, well, the upside of not going to the game is I'll be able to be on the podcast post-game. But, of course, he went on the Arscast instead. So please give us a five-star review and write nasty comments about Tim in the comments. We will be back uh, after the Everton game. Until then, up the Arsenal. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and see something extraordinary again. We'll talk to you after that.